Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Don't worry so much about real estate experience. Sometimes, in fact, real estate experience can hinder them because they think they already know enough and they don't need to learn much sometimes, and that can be a problem. So I want someone who has great sales experience. I don't care if they were selling cars, which is, by the way, a used car salesman could be really, really good. I don't care if they were selling pharmaceuticals. I don't care if they were selling Beanie Babies. I want to make sure that they were really, really good at sales, and that's who I want to hire. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it, guys. We are bringing you another live Q&A. And when I say live Q&A, I mean a replay of my live Q&A, which uh, apparently you guys are liking. It's very well downloaded. It's it's surprisingly popular, um, not because the content isn't amazing. I'm not surprised because of that. I just wasn't sure how the replay part of it would go or if people want to hear it live. And I think we're, we're getting a little bit of both. We get live people and you guys are downloading this because I think uh, it's always is fun and interesting to be fly on the wall, to hear what other people are asking. And I think these Q&As are good because people are asking stuff that's relevant to them right now. And I'm excited because not only are we on Facebook now doing these, which is where we started, we're now streaming them to all of my social media platforms. So if you're on um, Instagram, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on YouTube, you can catch these replays on all of those different locations. And I'm excited about that because it helps me reach more people and I can answer more questions. And it's just, it's good for all everyone all around. And I'm excited about this one. We had some great questions. We talked about private investors. What kind of paperwork is needed for that? Um, how should that look? And when you're paying them off, what do you have to do? And that kind of stuff. Uh, we talked about VAs. Do doing follow-up? What does that look like? How many calls should they be making? How many hours do they work? Like, What do they say? How does that all play out in your business to help you with follow-up and getting more deals? Uh, we talked about entrepreneurial loneliness. What do you do when you feel like you're just isolated and no one understands and you have no one to talk to? Like, How do you how do you combat that? And and I have a lot of feelings about that. So you should listen closely to that answer. And also uh, finding acquisition managers. This can be one of the toughest things you do in your business is finding great acquisition managers. And so I gave my outline for what I think is uh, best practice when you're doing that. So this is a great episode, guys. We talked about tons and I think you're going to love it. So get ready. I give you my latest Q&A. All right, welcome everybody to my live Q and A. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in. Whether this is on, you're listening to me on replay on my podcast, Just Our Real Estate, or you are listening live. Thank you, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Mike Simmons. If you've never been here before, my name is Mike Simmons. I'm a real estate investor in Michigan, and I started my real estate investing journey back in 2008, and we all remember what was happening then. Pretty crazy time. Real estate was just falling off the map. Prices were dropping like crazy. People were losing tons of money, and that's when I started, and I kind of got my feet 
kind of under me over the next couple of years after that and started figuring things out and eventually learned how to scale my business from just a side gig, a side hobby, something I was doing on the side during you know the week when I had a nine to five job and eventually figured out how to scale that up to a million dollars in profit and beyond. And I've been doing that now for several years. And I hop on here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific to answer your questions wherever you are in your real estate business, whether you're just starting out, don't know where to start, don't know what to do. I was there before. I started a whole podcast called Just Start Real Estate because I really wanted to help people get off the starting line, get off their butt, get off the sidelines, and get into the game and start building real wealth. But if you're if you've been in it for a while, if you kind of have your feet under you like I did after a couple of years of doing this and you just want to figure out how to accelerate your business and get it to the next level, again, I'm here for you right now on Wednesdays, every Wednesday to answer your questions for you and I want to help you get there. I truly just want to give back. Uh, but if you want to work with me in a deeper level and you think these Q&As are great and I'm hearing answers to questions and I get to ask you a few things kind of here and there, but I really want you to work with me at a deeper level. I want you to help me take my business from where it is, scale it up to a business like yours. I want to make over a million dollars. I want to have that kind of a profit level. I want to figure out how to build a business, hire people, get reliable leads, how to find all the funding I ever need, all of that stuff. I want to take this really seriously. Well, I have something for you there too. If you go to sevenfigureinvestor.com, that's the word seven spelled out, seven figure investor. I'm going to pop it up on the screen. If you're live here, you can see it sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go there and check it out. This is a program that I've developed. It is not for a whole year. It's not like you have to commit for a year. It's a small time frame. It's four weeks, but I, in that four weeks, I can adequately for sure show you how to get your business into a place where it can make seven figures reliably and predictably every single year. I've done this for myself, but not just for me, guys. You might think, well, you had some advantage. Maybe there's something going on with you that makes it easier. Number one, there wasn't. But number two, I've helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the last six years build six and seven-figure businesses. And I know that I can help you too. So just go to sevenfigureinvestor.com and check it out and see for yourself. I would love to see you inside the program. I want to see you succeed. I would love to help you build the same business that I've built and the business that I've helped other people build. Okay, guys, as you know, uh, when we do this every week, some people log on, they ask me questions live. I get questions throughout the week, DM, emails, all these things. People reach out all the time with questions. It becomes very overwhelming for me to try to answer every individual person because a lot of times these questions are the same or very, very similar. And so we bring them into these Wednesday night Q&As and I answer them here. So if you send me an email with a question, you should try to log on on Wednesdays and hear me answer it live, or at the very least, listen to the replay, go to my podcast, Just Start Real Estate, listen to it there. That's how you get the answers if you're going to email me. I don't respond to a lot of emails now, like directly one-on-one. -on -one. I bring all those questions in here so everyone can get the benefit of hearing the answers. All right, first question uh, for tonight. Let's see, I'll pop it up here on the screen. When paying off a private investor, what documentation are you producing? Up until this point, I've only had my I've only had my dad as an investor. I now have non-family member investors and I need some direction. So it's not it's not the paperwork that you need to produce when you're paying them off. It really starts with the paperwork that you need to produce 
when you take the loan originally. And there's two documents that I think are an absolute must and a third document that I think is maybe a good practice, or at the very least, it'll make investors feel way more comfortable uh, dealing with you. And so the first document is a mortgage. A mortgage basically is all of the, it's what you file with the, the county. And so when the property gets sold and you go to a title company or an attorney to, to go through the sale process of a property, the, the mortgage that's recorded will be what shows up when they do that, that search for any liens on the property. The mortgage will show up, and so the title company will make sure the lender gets paid off at closing. So the mortgage is number one. That gets recorded. Number two, um, I think you should have a promissory note. It's sort of the companion document to the mortgage. The promissory note... Uh, it describes and it explains and it lays out exactly what the terms are of borrowing this money, when they'll get paid back, how much you're going to pay them in interest. If you are going to pay them interest, maybe it's something where you're splitting a deal. And so you have a mortgage that says how much the mortgage is and that gets recorded. The promissory note could say there's no payments due until the house sells. And then the profits for that sale are going to get split 60-40, 70-30, 50-50, whatever you've agreed to, right? Or it can just say, hey, you've borrowed X amount of dollars and you're going to pay interest-only payments every month until it's paid off. And then, you know, obviously you pay off the principal. It could be, hey, there's interest-only payments, but they're going to accrue and you don't pay them until you sell the property. And then they get all of their interest payments at one time at the end. Like whatever you agree to with that private lender, that's what the promissory note uh describes and that's what it explains and kind of lays out in, in black and white. So those are two documents that I think are must-haves. One of them that might be good to have, especially if you have a lender that's a little bit leery and maybe hasn't done a lot of real estate uh, lending in the past, is you can offer them a uh, personal guarantee. And so it could be just a quick one pager that makes you personally liable. Because a lot of times you should be, a matter of fact, if you're buying a lot of properties and doing flips or whatever you're doing, you should be buying them inside of your LLC. You're buying them inside of a, an entity, right? And so you might have a lender who says, well, what happens if you don't pay me back? And I, I can only sue your LLC. I can't get to you personally. That's the whole point of an LLC. And what if there's no money? Like what happens, right? Like I don't want to just rely on this LLC that maybe is new. Maybe it's never done a deal before. And there's no, there are no assets inside of the LLC, which is fairly normal on a flipping LLC. So you could offer to give them a personal guarantee. Now, obviously this, this makes you liable on a much, much deeper level. It takes away all the benefits of, of that protection you get from an LLC, but you know you're going to pay them. You know you're going to do the right thing. You know you're a good person. You're never going to just leave them hanging. You're never going to stiff them on their loan, right? So why not give them a personal guarantee? Why not say, listen, if all else fails and think this thing goes sideways and I lose my mind, you can come after me personally. Give them that layer of protection. And a lot of times that will put a lot of their uh, nervousness, their unease, their you know maybe reluctant to, to lend money to you that could make the difference. That could make all the difference. If you say, listen, I'll, I'll expose myself personally if I don't you know, pay back the loan. So a personal guarantee is, is optional. You don't have to do that. But a mortgage and a promissory note, I think, should be absolutely part of it. And whether you're borrowing from your dad, and I know you, you said in, the, in this question, it was a little bit longer question that I had to 
to, I had to pare down a little bit. But you said up until this point, you've kept it very informal. And that's a decision you can make with, with relatives. I say with relatives, you still should have all the paperwork and documentation in place. It's just a good rule to do. You should follow it no matter who you're borrowing from. But I get it. Family members, you guys trust each other. It's a risk, but it's probably a calculated risk if you know your relationships, right? But you should always have that paperwork. And when you're borrowing from somebody else, mortgage, promissory note, and possibly a personal guarantee. I do personal guarantees on some loans and some I don't. And usually it just depends on what the the lender feels comfortable with and what they want. If they ask for a personal guarantee, I'll give it to them because I have never defaulted on a loan. I never will default on a loan. I've never not paid someone back. Like, you should you should make it a rule of thumb that when you're doing flipping or whatever you're doing, if you borrow money from somebody, that is the number one priority is paying that money back with whatever interest or whatever additional, you know, you're supposed to be paying them on top of what they lent you. But you get that money back. That's number one. That even if you lose money. You pay them back, like no matter what, you have to pay your lenders back. That should be the golden rule. It never gets compromised. You don't even think about it. You pay them back every single time. That being said, have paperwork in place so everyone feels comfortable, obviously. The first money that I borrowed, I borrowed it without paperwork. And I didn't borrow from a family member. I borrowed from a friend. And I didn't know. I didn't know about mortgages and promissory notes. I had no idea that that was something that people do. So they wired me the money and I used it and I paid it back and it was all it all worked out. But they never should have lent me money without paperwork and I never should have even accepted it without paperwork. You should always have mortgage and promissory note without exception. Okay, uh, next question. Let's see. We have a VA calling. Uh, let's see. We have a VA calling leads currently just to, just follow up just for follow up. How many appointments should they set for acquisitions? How many calls should they make, etc.? She sets one to two appointments per week as of now and works 20 hours a week. Um, 20 hours, it seems like you could set more than one or two, but I will say, I don't know how many leads you have in your database. If you have thousands and thousands and maybe even tens of thousands of leads in your database, then I would want them setting more appointments than that and making more calls. But if you only have you know, a couple of hundred leads in your database, you could go through those couple hundred leads in a week or two like that. That shouldn't take very long to get through. So it really depends on your database. But in general, uh, if you have a VA working 20 hours and they're setting one to two good appointments, okay, because it, there's a difference between setting an appointment and setting a good appointment. An appointment is 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 great, but you want to make sure these are appointments where the people are really motivated. They definitely want to sell. They kind of understand what you're doing. And you know that there's a, there's a decent chance of getting that deal. Because if you have somebody working 20 hours, and let's just say they're setting two appointments. Let's just say they're really cranking it out over a week, setting two appointments. You should be getting at least one contract out of those two appointments every single week. You should be close to that. Maybe one contract every one and a half weeks, perhaps, if you're if it's a little bit, you know, if, if the leads are a little bit uh, weaker or maybe the appointments aren't spectacular, you know, prospects. But I don't think that working 20 hours, I, I don't know what they would be doing for 20 hours if they're only sending one or two appointments. Because my my thinking is if they're working 20 hours, that's whatever, five hours a day, maybe something like that, three to three to five hours a day. 
I would think they could maybe get an appointment a day, um, maybe an appointment every other day. So you should be in that two to five, maybe two to four range for appointments. That, that would be what I would probably be targeting. But I would audit them a little bit, like find out what they're doing. If it's a VA, there's software you can set up to see exactly what's happening. I would listen to the phone calls too, because if they're making tons and tons of outbound follow-up calls to, to older or dead leads, I want to hear what they're saying because maybe it isn't the number of hours they're working. Maybe it's not the number of calls they're making. It could be the quality of the call. So maybe you could take those one to two appointments a week and it could go up to like three or four appointments if you coached them up on what they're saying on the phone. That would probably be my number one thing. I wouldn't necessarily question how many calls, I mean, how many hours they're working or maybe you could find out how many calls they're making, but that might, might, might not be the problem either. The most likely problem is the, the quality of the calls that they're making. I would listen to those, audit them, and give them some additional training on what they're saying when they make these calls. Uh, really, when they make these follow-up calls, they're trying to find out if anything's changed in their situation. Do they still have a house that they're interested in selling? And you're trying to revive that relationship a little bit. And, you know, I would rather them, honestly, I would rather them make five or six appointments uh, knowing that they're like maybe pushing some of them, they're not as, as solid appointments than just making one really, really good one. Because sometimes the, the appointments that you're not sure how it's going to work out, once you get in front of these folks or once you start talking to them in an acquisition manager's kind of a, um, in a role, like when you're really actually trying to get the contract, sometimes it, the prospect and the, that seller is a much better lead or a much better appointment than what it might have felt like on the phone. So if they'll agree to let you come out there and talk to them about buying their house, you for sure set the appointment. But I would want to see more than one appointment or one and a half, right, on average in a 20-hour work week. That seems a little light. But it depends, again, on the quality of the leads that they're calling. It really depends on what they're saying on the phone. So I would audit those calls and make sure that the call quality and the way that they are um, presenting your company and the way that they are building that rapport and trying to find out what the if the motivation still exists, Like I would really audit that. I think that's m probably the bigger smoking gun than how many hours they're working or how many appointments they're setting. The appointments could be a product of what they're saying to the people. Okay. Let's try the next question here, guys. We're going kind of fast. This could be maybe a shorter episode. We'll see. Uh, or a shorter Q&A. But let's check this out. Let's see what the next question here is. As a business owner, I sometimes feel isolated and adrift. Yeah, we all do sometimes. Any suggestions for alleviating the loneliness so I can stay motivated? 100%. The best way to alleviate loneliness, entrepreneur loneliness, and man, it happens to everybody. It, it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest uh, pitfalls of being an entrepreneur is that feeling that you're on this island, you're all alone, there's nobody to talk to. The absolute best remedy for that is joining a mastermind. No doubt about it. You have to have to surround yourself with people who are in the same situation as you or relatively the same situation as you. Everyone's unique and everyone's different, but put yourself in rooms and surround yourself with people, join a mastermind, um, get a mentor that you can talk to and bounce things off of. Like I said, I have a program called The Seven Figure Investor. If you go to sevenfigureinvestor.com, uh, you can check that out. But you need to be able to talk to someone, a mentor, a coach, a mastermind, a group of people 
who get it. They're in there with you. They kind of know what's going on. You can bounce ideas off of them. I have friends that I've met through Seven Figure uh, Flipping, which is the mastermind that I'm uh, an owner of, I'm a part of. Uh, it's different than Seven Figure Investor. Seven Figure Investor is a four-week program. Seven Figure Flipping is a one-year-long mastermind. Um, but I'm in that group, and I've met people that I can just call on the phone and go, hey, you know, Terry, um, hey, this is what's going on in my business. This is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? Like, I'm a little bit freaked out. Maybe I'm making a mistake. And we can talk through it. And I know he knows what I'm going through. And he's kind of at the level that I'm at. And he, he sort of gets the world of real estate, and he understands my situation. He's known me now for four or five years. And so it's very easy conversation and he can really help me out. You need to have someone you can talk to either online or on the phone or in person, but you need those relationships. The thing that people do when they're lonely in their business, more often than not, and when they do this, more often than not, it's a huge, huge mistake that can cost them a ton of money. And the mistake they make is they partner with somebody. They're lonely. They want someone in this with them. They want someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of. And so they go 50-50 partnership with someone they don't know very well. And they get in this partnership. And probably at first, it's exciting. It's helpful. You're kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. It feels like now you've got someone in the trenches with you until it goes wrong. And here's some things that can go wrong with partnerships. And by the way, a partnership can be fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I have a partner in my real estate business, but I think more often than not, it doesn't go well and it eventually becomes a major problem. And here's some of the things that happen with a partnership that causes them to go wrong. Number one, there's different work at work ethics. Somebody in the partnership is a much harder worker and a much puts in many more hours than the other. And there's resentment that sits in and it could be you. Maybe you're the harder worker. You bring someone in, you think they have good skills, you can bounce ideas off each other, it's really great. And then the other, your partner, the other person starts kind of being who they are. They, they're done by 3.30, they want to kind of check out for the day, or you know, they, they like to go on vacation once a month, take a long weekend, and they're not in the, in the, in the um, you know, they're not in the business for, you know, three, four days out of the week here and there. And you know, maybe they don't work weekends and they just want to take that time off. Like, who knows? Maybe they just have that lifestyle and that's how they want to be. You didn't know it. You weren't aware of that. It seemed like they were hardworking when you started the partnership, but, you know, they just settle back into what they really want. And it's just a more casual approach to business than you have. That will make you resentful. If it's the other way around and they work harder than you, they're going to resent you at some point. The other thing that can go wrong or one of the other things is, you have different risk tolerance. One of you is a high risk, high reward kind of a mentality. Um, you have a lot of risk tolerance and you, you like to take big swings and hopefully you get big results. And if you don't, it can be a big loss. One of you is that way and the other one's a little more conservative or a lot more conservative. That can blow up a partnership too and make it really, really tough. Another thing that can happen is um, you have different end goals Maybe you bring on this partner and you're like, hey, I'm trying to grow this business. And they're like, yeah, I want to grow the business too. And I would love to be a part of it. And this is going to be great. We're going to make a ton of money. And at some point down the road, you realize you want to build your business You know, to do maybe, let's just say, real estate terms. You want to do um, 100 deals a year. 
And they thought their goal really was to do 20, 30 deals a year. And that was a comfortable amount of work and it was a comfortable amount of risk. And it was sort of a comfortable thought for them to do 20, 30 deals. But you want to do 100 and more. Well, you may not know that in the beginning when you're only doing one deal a month or, or 12 deals a year. But as you start growing and the workload and the responsibilities and the management of the team, you get to that 20, 30 deals and your partner starts going, hey, I want to like level off here. Let's just like ride this out the way we are. And you're like, what are you talking about? We wanted to blow this thing up. I wanted to build a huge business. And you realize there's a disconnect there. But sometimes you don't realize it until you're down the road a little bit, right? If we both get in a car in New York and we say, let's head west and we start driving and we get to Illinois and your partner says, hey, this is, the, this is the destination. Illinois was the destination. And you're like, wait, what? I wanted to go to California. And they're like, no, Illinois, right? In the beginning, you both just wanted to drive west. You knew west was your destination. But your partner had a different idea of what that destination was. And they, while they did want to head west, at the same time you did and at the same speed, they just wanted to stop in Illinois. That was their final destination. Your final destination was California, right? Big difference. To put that in dollars and cents and like more of a business sense, one of you wants to build a $500,000 business. The other person wants to build a $5 million business. That's dramatically different. Those are two different businesses that require two different sets of responsibilities, um, two different sets of management, two different sets of just whole mentality, right? It's a different, totally different ball game. And so some of those things are, can creep up when you, when you partner. So if you're lonely, join a mastermind, get a coach, join my program, whatever it is, find someone that you can talk to, bounce ideas off of, commiserate with. If that's what it is one day, you just need to dump off you know, all this stuff that you're carrying around and, and you need someone who gets it and understands and can sympathize with you and maybe give you some good advice. Do not partner because you're lonely. Surround yourself with people that get it. All right, that's my advice for that. <clears throat> okay, last question, guys, and then I think we're going to call it. Last question. Do you have any suggestions for finding an acquisitions manager? What do you think about making the transition to virtual acquisitions? Okay, two separate questions. I'll answer the first one first. Um, do I have any suggestions for finding acquisitions manager? Yeah, the, the number one suggestion is don't feel like your acquisitions manager has to have real estate experience. They don't. The first acquisitions person that I hired, who ended up, in, in fact, being my partner, he had no real estate experience at all. He didn't know anything about real estate. He didn't know what to look for in repairs. He didn't know how to run comps. He knew nothing. So what I did in the beginning was I ran comps on appointments that he had. I would check out the property, run comps, and I would give him an MAO. MAO stands for Maximum Allowable Offer. I would say, you're going to this appointment, Here's the number, 75000 That's the most you can pay for that property. However, I want you to get it way cheaper than that. But seventy-five is like, that's it. You can't go any higher than that. And he would go in there with just that knowledge. He was good at repair, uh, creating rapport. He was good at talking to people. He was good at building that trust. And he understood early on, because we talked about it, that Solving the problem that's forcing them to need to sell their house, solving that problem is number one, creating trust and rapport and understanding their situation and helping them with their situation was going to allow him to buy the property at the right price. And that's all he did. And if he got into the appointment and there was something going on in the house that 
made him question whether or not he could pay seventy-five thousand. Because I said, listen, this seventy-five thousand. There's some assumptions we have to make about this house, and the assumption is. It's dated. It needs, you know, minor repairs. It's cosmetically. It needs everything, floors, paint, kitchen, bathroom. But there's nothing really major wrong. And so if he went in there and he saw there were some major, major um, maintenance issues, he would go out on the on the driveway. He would say, hey, I've got to call my, uh, my partner real quick or I've got to call my boss. And he'd go out there and say, hey, I just went in there and the roof is like literally leaking. Like I can see drip marks coming down and I don't know if this is going to change anything. And I would give him an updated number. I would tell him how much to take off that MAL. And he would have, but he learned very quickly how to estimate some of these unforeseen repairs. He was great. His sales experience was pharmaceutical sales. He was a pharmaceutical salesman. And so my advice is don't worry so much about real estate experience. Sometimes, in fact, real estate experience can hinder them because they think they already know enough and they don't need to learn much sometimes, and that can be a problem. So I want someone who doesn't, I don't care about real estate experience. I want someone who has great sales experience. I don't care if they were selling you know, cars, which is, by the way, a used car salesman could be really, really good. I don't care if they were selling pharmaceuticals. I don't care if they were selling Beanie Babies. I want to make sure that they were really, really good at sales. And that's who I want to hire. And then the other thing is, especially when you're growing and you don't have a great amount of cash flow to pay someone this huge salary, is I found someone who was doing sales right now. He was doing on-the-road sales, right? Local on the road. So he was going to doctors and stuff and doing his pharmaceutical sales. He was on the road locally in my market where I need to have my appointments with my sellers. But he was doing he was such he was so good at his job in pharmaceutical sales that he would kill it and he had time left over in the day. And he would go do an appointment here and there during the day for me and he didn't need income from me. I gave him income, but I gave him a straight commission, no base just commission. And I did that and he was able to do that even if we didn't get a deal for a week or two or even a month because he had a full-time job that was supporting him. He he didn't need the money. And so I could afford and he could afford for me to pay him commissions and that's how we started off until eventually the the volume picked up and he eventually quit his he quit his pharmaceutical job and came to work for me part-time and then eventually we partnered. So that's how I did it. I think that was a great way of doing it. And by the way, your part-time acquisitions person that you bring in can and should also answer the phones because they're going to be much better on the phone than a VA, in my opinion. And they answer the phone. And then when they answer the phone and create rapport, create rapport with the sellers, then they're the ones showing up on the doorstep of the seller. And there's a lot of continuity there. It's a lot of synergy with folks. When you talk to them on the phone, they love you on the phone. They trust you. They go, yeah, we want to sell our house. Uh, we'll give you an appointment. Come on over and see us. And then you show up as the person. Because as you grow and scale, most likely you're going to have to split those responsibilities just because of scale. Your acquisition person won't have time to answer the phone all the time. And so you're going to have someone answering phones. They're going to create rapport. They're going to set an appointment for your salesperson your or your acquisitions person. They're going to have to come to the house and reestablish rapport from scratch because the seller has never talked to them. And it's fine and it works and it's great. But in the beginning, when you have a smaller operation and your acquisition person can also be answering phones and then show up on the appointment as the same person who was on the phone, it's great. 
And so that's my advice for acquisitions. Don't get caught up in, in their the real estate knowledge. It's, it's irrelevant, honestly. As long as you have the knowledge and you can get them up to speed, give them an MAO, give them some basic marching orders and go into that appointment with that number, they should be just fine if they're good at sales. If they're not great at sales, they're going to struggle. And, and the, the, the thing you have to resist and a lot of people do is they try to find someone with a lot of real estate experience and they don't worry as much about sales, but they, they think they have to know real estate. It's the opposite. Great sales background, solid salesperson, rock star salesperson, real estate doesn't matter really doesn't matter. I almost prefer people without real estate experience. So I can tell them the way I look at the world and the way I look at real estate and the way my business runs and what's important to me and how I want them to view these these properties and view these situations when they go into it. So that's my advice on buying, uh, on hiring real estate folks. Uh, guys, again, if you want to work with me directly, if you want really to blow up your business, like you're done screwing around, you want to get out there and really crush it even still this year, we're not too far into the year. We can do this, guys. I can help you do it. Go to 7 Investor, the word 7, 7figureinvestor.com. Sign up for the program. It's starting soon. I can't wait to see you inside the program. I want to blow your business up. I want to help you do that this year. And the only way you can do it is if you work with me directly. I mean, there's other ways you can do it. But the only way I can help you do it is if you sign up for my program and we get this done together. All right, guys, that's all I have for this week. We'll be back next week at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Can't wait to see you guys. Talk to you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.